Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Janine. Wow. Hi, I'm Janine. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Janine. Okay, maybe the Diet Coke doesn't have to take them stage. Um, to get the numbers out of the way, I have been in program since 1989, and thank you, Martha, for asking me to share. Um, I'm, I've currently celebrated six years of abstinence in the beginning of February, so clearly not a straight line, um, and I'm down 166 pounds from my top weight. <laughs> I got my pictures, and there's a, there's a very, I guess the best picture in there is me in these red pants. You know, as a person who's been overweight my entire life, black was always my friend. And I went through a moment of rebellion where I found these red pants that fit, and I wore them to death, much to my dismay now. Um, so, uh, so my story is my story. Um, I was adopted at four days old um, to a family that very much wanted to have children but just wasn't able um, and really wasn't equipped to love me the way that I needed to be loved. That's not to say that they're bad people. They did the best they could with all the challenges and and blessings that they had. You know, for me, it wasn't a great fit. And, And that doesn't come from being adopted into that family. That can happen anywhere. But... Because I was adopted, and I knew that from the very beginning. My, my mom tells a story that I used to walk up to people when I was, you know, tiny and say, Hi, I'm Janine, I'm adopted. And until someone turned around and said, Oh my gosh, poor thing, did they beat you in the orphanage? <laughs> I don't know, did they beat me in the orphanage? So, you know, I, I, I've always known. It was never a secret. And it really didn't mean much to me uh, as a young person. But eventually... What it came to mean to me in the context of being in a home where I didn't feel loved and, you know, I just didn't feel enough love, I guess, was that I started to focus on the fact that I wasn't wanted from the get-go. And so from there, from not being wanted at the get-go to being adopted into a family that couldn't love me the way I needed to, I started to feel like there was something very wrong with me inside that there was something I had done, and I couldn't have done it in this life because it started when I was four days old. So it had to be something that um, was wrong with me on a very, very deep level, maybe past life, maybe something, but clearly I was being punished, and there was nothing I could do about it. And if God didn't like me, I wasn't going to like God right on back. So... um, I, I mention that because it's a big part of my, my spiritual journey in this program, coming to find a power that's greater than myself that I can rely on and can turn to and ask for help. So um, my dad says that I started gaining weight when I was seven years old. I don't remember ever being a normal weight my whole life, so I can't tell you, you know, anything happened. It just it just is what it is. My mom's mom lived with us, and, and as is the case with several, with many moms and daughters, she, my mom and her mom did not get along. I got along great with my bubby, which is what I called her, 
And she, being a typical Jewish grandmother, which of course translates to many groups, um, liked to show us her love with food. And she would, for example, if it's okay to talk about food, she would um, make oatmeal in the morning and put sweetened condensed milk happy faces on it. I don't know if you've ever seen that stuff, but on a shelf on a warm day, it's like cement. But I remember being a little kid with, and she would do those little, those little um, can opener things the, that would make a little uh, triangle in the top of it, and then she'd put it in the fridge. So I remember standing in that open door of the fridge with a, with a can, just desperately trying to suck this cement out of the can because I just couldn't stand to feel what I was feeling. And really that is the crux of my disease. My feelings absolutely terrified me. Good, bad, happy, sad, up, down, sideways, no feelings at all, doesn't matter. I'm always just crawling out of my skin. And I have described it, and I just never know if people actually believe that this is like literally the way I see it, but I, sometimes I feel like if I don't quiet what's going on inside me, I will literally explode into bloody chunks on the sidewalk. It just feels too big. And food, you know, when you're seven years old or six years old, um, or eight or ten or twelve, whatever your beginning happens to be, those are food is the drug of choice. I mean, it's the easy get. You know, I, I didn't know. My, my parents never drank. They smoked. And I thought it was gross, so I never wanted to do that. And my dad was a doctor. He talked to us a lot about the evils of drugs and never wanted to do that. But um, my dad was a compulsive overeater. My mom... You know, she'd eat three M&Ms and be too full for dinner, so whatever. You know, I just, we totally did not relate on that front. Um, so there was that. She's a cat rescuer, and she does really great work with cats. And I always say if I had four feet and a tail, she and I would have done so much better. Um, she is who she is. You know, she's, she clearly has a loving heart for some things. Um, just wasn't just wasn't me the way I was constructed, just wasn't what she had imagined in her daughter. So I turned to food to quiet all those feelings and continued to go up, 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 up. She would bring me to, she brought me to Weight Watchers when I was eight or nine. And at that point, at that particular Weight Watchers meeting, they would read your weight off, whether you'd gained or lost, while you were standing in the front of the room, and then they'd boo or applaud as was dictated by your weight loss or gain. And I just remember being a little kid with my mom booing next to me. just wasn't great. So, um, you know, I could diet for a little while. And also as being a kid, I was very reliant on her and other people to cook for me. And my mom didn't really have uh, the cooking bug. And that's her and her mom's relationship stuff. So I, I don't get into it. But, you know, she... We ordered out every single night. This is back in the age. I'm, I turned 50 this year, and so that's back in the age of the CB radio. So my dad, who worked downtown Chicago, would be driving home every night, and he would radio in on his CB to ask what he was picking up for dinner. And it was either Tonelli's or uh, Fong's or the chicken rib joint. Those were our staples of food. So that's what I grew up on. We ate it in front of the television. God forbid you should speak during a meal unless it was commercial. Then it was okay. And, you know, so that was the food I had. And and then when I, my mom would put me on diets, I got iceberg lettuce with vinegar or god-awful green giant canned 
uh, green beans. My husband likes to tell the story that um, when we first started dating, he, he made me fresh green beans, and I said, I'm not eating those. He's like, why? I'm like, they have food coloring in them. They're so green. I can't eat those. I'm like, I had never had fresh green beans. We'd always have these nasty, washed-out green beans from a can. So... He, thought, he thinks that's quite fun. Um, now I don't eat French cut green beans from a can. Ever. Um, and I rarely eat iceberg lettuce, as a matter of fact. But salads are no longer a punishment. So um, so that's kind of my food journey, was all fast food, all pickup food. Um, no real thought about, you know, what that was doing. But a lot of anger about um, how my body was reacting to what I ate. And, of course, I ate everywhere else, too. I mean, I brought pocket loads of change to school so I could get to the um, the machines and buy whatever. So, And I shoplifted for food, I whatever. I did whatever I had to do to get my fix, you know, not unlike anybody else. And I say if I, I'm very lucky, I'm very lucky that I chose food. Because I think that if I had gone at drugs or alcohol the way I went at food, I would truly have been dead long ago. I mean, you don't get a hundred, you don't carry around over a hundred pounds for 40 years extra without really going at it. Um, And uh, so I did that through college. I went away to college for one semester. I couldn't handle being on my own. All I did was eat and stay in my room and read Stephen King novels and listen to Joni Mitchell records. Um, what a great combo. Uh, yeah, well. So I came home and I went to uh, my friend. My, my parents approached a friend of mine and said, she's coming home and we don't know what to do with her. And she said, okay, called me up and said, you're going to Columbia College. You're going to study music, which is what you should have been doing anyway. And uh, and that's where you're going. I was like, I don't know. She said, no, no, that's where you're going. Oh, okay, <laughs> that was what I did. I went to Columbia College and lived in an apartment and um, just basically continued on my path of eating to soothe everything. I had no other tools. And then Oprah did her big reveal after the Optifast plan, <laughs> and I thought I can do that. I could do that. So I started looking for Optifast, and I started calling around to local hospitals in Chicago. And I called Martha Washington Hospital, and they said, no, we don't have that, but we have an OA meeting at 7.30. I had only ever heard of OA one time from a therapist when I was maybe 15, 16. And my, I think my exact words to him were, I'm not going to go sit in a room with fat people and talk about being fat. <laughs> You know, with all the with all the know how or knowledge a sixteen year old possesses at that point, and so I have no idea why when she said we have an OA meeting at seven thirty instead of this Optifast plan that I'm thinking is the perfect solution, why I actually went. I don't know, but I went, and it was at the hospital in a packed room, very warm, and. That particular meeting, a lot of the, the women were identifying Jesus Christ as their their higher power. I'm a nice Jewish girl from the suburbs. It kind of freaked me out. You know, I was like, uh, do I have to believe in Jesus to be in this room? What, what if I don't believe in Jesus? Do I have to tell them I believe in Jesus? What if I'm lying about Jesus? I don't know Jesus. So um, it was kind of scary, you know. At, and uh, so, again, I can't tell you why I came back the next week. But I did. 
And I, that's the one thing that I've done right is I haven't stopped coming. The only time that there was a lapse in my meetings was when we moved from Chicago to here. And I had done the research. I knew where the meetings were. But it was just scary to come to a new place again. And so about a month and a half, maybe two months, lapsed. Excuse me. And then I went uh, on New Year's Day to the OA office in Reseda. And uh, the meeting was closed. But there was another compulsive overeater in the parking lot. And all I needed was just, you know, two seconds of identifying with a fellow. And then I could step back in the rooms. And I've never, since, I've never stopped coming since. Um, the way that I have worked the steps is sporadic and so when I lived in Chicago I had a sponsor and we worked the first five steps and then she left program and then I had another sponsor and we worked the first five steps and then I moved to LA so you know and then I started all over and I kept starting all over and um, I kind of only worked the program to feel better when you're carrying around 150 160 extra pounds I, I don't know about you but I felt like Physical recovery wasn't a possibility for me. I just didn't think it was possible to lose that much weight. And so I really only just wanted to feel better, maybe not hate my mom quite so much, maybe not just feel that hor those horrible feelings all the time and that self-loathing and that need to be alone, you know, behind the clothes drapes or the cold shades just with the food. And um, so that's really how I worked the program. And then... I started going to the 100-pounders meeting here in Reseda on Wednesday nights. And I started hearing people talk about losing amounts of weight like I had to lose, having lost amounts of weight like was ahead of me, and having lives that they were happy with and lives that they were comfortable in and pursuing their goals and their dreams. And I thought, damn, this is not good news. Because what that meant was if I wanted to, I could do it. There was no reason I couldn't, except for me. But I'd have to work for it. And I was, it was daunting. So daunting. And I knew I was going to have to have a, a higher power. And how was I going to do that? God didn't like me. Clearly, God didn't like me. How was I going to turn my will and my life over to somebody who basically, every time something went wrong, was up in heaven going, ha ha, gotcha. I mean, and that's really what I believed. So um, I started to do what my sponsor said, and I was doing some writing in, um, I was in my car, and I was sitting in the parking lot of a, uh, a park district, and I was parked under this giant tree with all these beautiful branches and beautiful green leaves, and I had a thought that God was saying to me, kind of like being on a branch of a tree, oh, you turned left when you were supposed to turn right. It's all right. Back up a couple steps. Go the other way. You'll be back on track in no time. Very different for me. Very, very different. And um, that was the first concept of a higher power that I began to feel comfortable with. I used to, my, I can't say that my, what my first prayer was because I'm not allowed to swear. My first prayer was, if you're there and you give a bleep, this is what I need today. That was all I could do. And then my next prayer was, okay, this is, what I, this is what's going on today and this is what I need help with. And then a friend in program who's no longer with us said her prayer was, whatever, 
that was awesome. Really? Whatever. So I, I have alternately had higher power and taken my will back and had higher power and taken my will back. Um, I was working with a sponsor um, about a year and a half ago, and we went through the steps very quickly, very quickly. And I remember sitting at the coffee bean on Ventura Boulevard, and we were reading through some materials on step three. And I knew she was going to, it was coming up to the part where she was going to ask me to take step three, to turn my will and my life over, to, to make that commitment. And I just, I'm sitting there listening to her read, thinking, I can't do it. I am not in a good place with this. I don't believe God's going to take care of me. I believe God wants you all every single one of you to be happy, joyous, and free. I believe that with all of my heart. I didn't believe it for me. I didn't. And in my book, the, on the cover, is one of these sayings that I have found over time. And it says, God loves you, God loves me, because of who he is, not because of anything I did or didn't do. And I have been carrying that thing around with me. I mean, I, I pick up sayings and stuff all over the place. And my head, my head likes to talk very nasty to me, so I surround myself with better thoughts. So those are, you know, I have a, one of those little um, picture frame things that's wires, and it says friends on the bottom, and these are my happy thoughts. Like I have, you know, all kinds of great thoughts from that book in uh, that wire picture frame. Cause, and I have them up at work, and I have them in my book. And so here I am, I'm, I'm working step three with my sponsor, I'm thinking I can't do it, I can't do it. And that saying popped into my head, God loves me because of who God is, not because of anything I did or didn't do. But that is truly a higher power greater than myself because I, give, I was giving God my very human characteristics of spite and jealousy and all these other things that a true higher power, in my, in my belief, wouldn't have. But that was my higher power up to then. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, that is my higher power. I can believe, I, if I can't, I don't have to figure this out. God is bigger. God has the ability to love me regardless. And I don't have to, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to be anything. I don't have to pretend I'm not something. And I came to a new understanding. And that is the God that I turn my will over to every single day now. Um, in the mornings, going very fast. In the mornings, um, I have my rituals. So, it, every time I start a new notebook, and I always get the same notebook. You, you may call it OCD. I call it consistency. Um, I print out these cards, um, and one it has my reco- my recovery quotient, which is all the things that I need to do to uh, work my program. And when something isn't going right or I feel funky, and I never know that I'm feeling funky. I always tell people, I don't feel sad, happy, afraid. I feel donut. I feel cookies. That's what I feel. And that's my clue that, you know, there's something going on. And so I have these, this list of things that I need to do every day. I have to work the first three steps. I have to be in gratitude. I, I cannot survive without gratitude. Prayer and meditation, I need to turn it over every single day. I have several readings that I do. I have a food plan, and I'll talk about that too. I make a plan for my day, sponsorship, meetings, outreach calls, 10th step. And I have a list of affirmations that 
a fellow in program used to say that he would stand in front of the mirror naked and, and embrace his body and say that he loved himself and he was a beautiful person. I thought, I cannot do that. I could not even do, I could not even say I loved myself in the rearview mirror, looking only at my eyes. I couldn't do it. So, to me, finally, and that was ten years ago when he used to say that, finally coming to a place where I was willing to start replacing these old tapes in my head with loving thoughts was really really amazing to me. My affirmations, I say, I am a loving person, and I am worthy of love. I have what I need today. I'm smart and capable. I am living in the solution. And as long as I'm waking up and doing this stuff, I am living in the solution. I am worth the effort, which is especially important to me when I can go through the drive-thru or I can go to Ralph's. I am worth the effort to go to Ralph's and get an apple instead of driving through and getting whatever. I am allowed to make mistakes. I don't have to be perfect. I say it. I'm not sure I always believe it, but I'm trying. God loves me and cares for me. God wants me to be happy, joyous, and free. I accept the path that has led me to today without shame or judgment. And for today, I can be afraid and still take any necessary actions. And then I... uh, Say, I got it, see Janine, compulsive overeater. I'm powerless over food and my life is unmanageable. I've come to believe that you are a power greater than myself, that you love me because of who you are, not because of anything I did or didn't do, and that you can restore me to sanity if I will seek you out and try to align my will with yours. And for today, I have decided to turn my will and my life over to you. And then I say the third step prayer. And that's and then I read um, the for today, and then I have a bunch of for todays that um, have touched me, and I keep them on my phone, so I take pictures of them. Especially, well, because also because my family is asleep, we live in a very small place, and um, it's difficult to uh, to turn on lights and stuff and have any privacy at all. Not to mention that it's two boys and my husband, all boys, not so much. So in my phone on my photos. I have um, screenshots of my um, my uh, affirmations, and um, and then little things that I like to read each day. There's a, a part of the vision for you that I, you know, I've been in program a long time. I've heard a vision for you, but it wasn't until uh, you know I think it was December of last year where I heard this part. We know what you were thinking. You were saying to yourself, "I'm jittery and alone. I couldn't do that, but you can." You forget that you have just now tapped a source of power much greater than yourself. To duplicate with such backing what we have accomplished is only a matter of willingness, patience, and labor. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I just have to do what's been laid out in front of me. And that's, that's kind of a relief because I'm a figure-outerer. You know, like I need to know what to do and I need to write down the steps and I need to, you know, I need to figure it all out. Um, and then one of the one of the four todays that I love says, believe that you can be abstinent, you will be. Believe that you can have sanity, peace of mind, and freedom to live the life you want, you will have them. Believe that you will recover, you will. And to me, when I want to eat something that I is not on my food plan for the day or whatever, I think about that. If I just believe that I can get through this next five minutes without the food, I can get through it. I really can. 
And then the last one that I'll read to you is from January 12th. It says, My food addiction was acquired so I could survive and cope in earlier painful circumstances. Thus began two myths. First, that pain was to be avoided at all costs. And second, that eating would relieve the pain free of charge. These, were, these myths were useful then, but they are insanity today. As I become willing to accept the truth that is revealed to me in this program, the myths I clung to so desperately lose credibility. I no longer need to be anesthetized. I can stand still and feel my feelings. I don't think something is wrong if I'm not happy every minute. The more I accept the reality of what is, the more comfortable and serene my life becomes. So those are the things that I do on a daily basis. Uh, my husband is also in program, and uh, we went through some financial stuff where he was laid off a couple of times. It was really difficult. And in order to address both our food and our finances, we started coming up with a food plan every week so that we could shop properly and have the food that we needed and not be in fear or, you know, in turmoil at the last minute trying to make a decision. So we've continued that. We have what we call our weekly planning meeting where we go over the calendar, we look at who's doing what, and then we make a food plan for the entire family. So, you know, got a 16-year-old boy and a 7-year-old boy. The 16-year-old boy is, I believe, one of us, though he's not ready to say so. And uh, the 7-year-old is ADHD. He can eat anything. He's driving me nuts. He's got the metabolism of, I don't know, like a colony of ants or something. He just, he just go, 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 go. And all he wants to eat is mac and cheese. And I, whatever, I, can't, I don't get to eat his mac and cheese. So um, we make a food plan, and it's different for everybody. And my husband and I pretty much eat the same stuff. Um, and it's like breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a week for each one of us. And, and then we do the shopping, and we do the prep, and I bring my lunch to work. And I have my oatmeal at work. You know, I just do what I have to do every single day with my food. Um, and I just got a new sponsor. I had a fantastic sponsor that I loved and who terrified me, which was probably a good thing. Um, but who worked a program that I just, I just respect her program so much. Um, but she wasn't available. And people in these rooms were doing, like, I, I don't like when they say, who needs a sponsor? Because I had the experience of having somebody walk up to me and say, I'll be your sponsor, and they were not the appropriate person for me, and I am the people pleaser. I didn't know how to say no. I was like, oh, okay. And thus began a very bad journey. So um, when I knew my sponsor was and I weren't going to work out, I wasn't willing to put my hand up in the meetings and say I needed a sponsor. And then one day, I walked up and I pitched it. I just said, you know what? I keep waiting for the right sponsor and the right person. It has to be a 100-pounder, and it has to be somebody with long-term abstinence, and it has to be somebody who's blah bitty blah bitty blah bitty blah And somebody came up to me at the meeting and said, I think you should call so-and-so. She ha- and I thought, what I need is somebody who I can call at 6.15 in the morning. There aren't a lot of people that want to take a call at 6.15 in the morning, but that's the only time I have. Literally, I have to go out to my car and make the call, and then my son is brought out to the car, and we head off for our day. Um, And you know what? What a gift to just say, okay, God, bring me what I need. I'm whatever, really, Sandy's prayer, whatever, you know, bring me what I need and, and help me to accept that gift. And it's, it's miraculous. And I'm so grateful for the gifts that this program gives. Some of the gifts... 
are in there, um, just being able to walk around, you know, honestly. I couldn't walk from my desk at my last job to the elevator without being terrified that my knees or my back were going to give out. If I had to wait for the elevator to come, just standing still was excruciating and humiliating. It was horrible. And now, at my new job, I'm up and down three flights of stairs several times a day. It doesn't matter. I went rock climbing at there's a I work for a, a camp and they have this big rock wall and I kept going to camp for these events and I kept thinking God I really love to do that oh my God that would be awesome and the guy then when I was there one day and I said okay I'm gonna try it and I went up to the guy and I said can I do this <laughs> to this body of mine and I'm like can I do this because yeah you can do this I'm like you don't understand. I have lost 166 pounds. I have never done anything like this. And I am not afraid of getting hurt. I am not afraid of falling off that wall. I am afraid that I will fall off that wall and hurt you. And he's like, you can't hurt me. I'm like, yes, I can hurt you. Yeah. He's like, no, no, climb up the wall. So I started climbing the wall, and he said, let go. Oh, no, you are not going to get me let go. But let go. Just, just let go. And I did. And he held me there, you know. And I didn't get all the way up. Maybe next time. But I climbed that wall, you know. And I went hiking in Colorado with my my best friend in the whole wide world. And she said, do you want to go hiking? I'm like, I don't hike. She's like, hiking is just walking. I'm like, oh, I can walk. <laughs> okay. And I hiked in Colorado. It was amazing. So, and the last one, which is my favorite, was going on an airplane. Really? I didn't know you didn't have to walk sideways down the aisle. I didn't know people could walk straight down that center aisle. I had no idea. My entire life I'd scooched, you know, scooched my way through. And I waited. You know, as I would sit down, I would wait for that look of the person coming down the aisle thinking, oh, God, don't let it be her. Don't let me be sitting next to her. Because I would be encroaching on their seat. It was awkward and horrible. And now... I'm not that person. Those are just a few of the gifts. Not to mention just being grateful for what I have today. You know, my son is seven, one of them, and he and I do, um, we do prayers at night. So what we say is, hi, God, it's me, Janine. It's me, Aaron. Thank you for this day. And we each list three things that we're grateful for. And then we say, please watch over our family and friends, the homeless people. And he added the homeless animals. And, yeah, he's so cute. Delicious. And uh, the homeless animals, and please watch out for Grandpa grandpa and Grandma Gloria and Grandpa Bill, who are in, and I quote, really big need, and help us to rest well, recharge our batteries, and wake up refreshed and ready for the day. And then we say, thank you, God, love you, Lila Tove, night, night, and go to bed. And I begin my day with three things I'm grateful for, and I end my day with three things I'm grateful for. And when I am upset with my husband, somebody taught me to write things that I'm grateful for about him. And when I'm upset with my 16-year-old, and 16 is awful, 16 is bad, bad, bad. I hate 16. And not him, but 16 is awful. And when I'm upset with him, I list the things that I'm grateful for with him. And, you know, it's just making a huge difference in my life. And I'm so grateful for the people, places, and things that this program has brought me, and especially for a relationship with a higher power and knowing that I'm not, not only am I not a mistake, not unwanted, 
I can be a person in this world and be a part of OA and my work and my family and my life. Um, so thanks. I'm out of things to say. If you have a question, I'll try my best to answer it. What was my food plan while I was losing weight? So my, my abstinence is three meals a day and up to three snacks. I try not to eat three, but sometimes. My sponsor told me at one point, make your abstinence something that you can live with um, come hell or high water. I heard today something that moved me, and I'm considering, I'm, I'm going to talk to my sponsor about it. She's, and this person said, your abstinence should be something which requires you to lean on your higher power. So three, sna- three meals and three snacks, I can get through that pretty much on my own, but um, I like the idea of having to turn to my higher power. So the food that I eat, um, basically I eat a packet of oatmeal in the morning. I eat uh, two string cheeses and a, a V8 around 10.30. I eat breakfast very early. Well, not very early. Like I, I eat breakfast around 7.30, 8 o'clock. I eat my snack at 10.30. At 12, I'm absolutely starving, so I have my lunch, which is usually protein and a grain and um, vegetable and fruit. And uh, then in the afternoon, I usually have a protein bar around 4 o'clock, and then dinner is protein, starch, and vegetables and or fruit. So that's pretty much what I eat. It's fun. works for me. Not too sexy. <laughs> but it's not chicken and brown rice because I couldn't do that 24-7. So was it scary losing all that weight? Um, I've done, I did it one time before. I, I, I lost 100 pounds once before, and that was terrifying because I had no tools. And I was terrified that I was going to be mugged, raped, robbed. I, was, I felt tiny. I felt small. And I wasn't. I was still 200, just about 200 pounds. So, you know, I, it, was, it was scary then. I had so much more, so many more tools and so many people to turn to and rely on and people who had walked that road before me. And maybe that was why I was willing, you know, because I knew people who had done it. Now, I will tell you that since I lost the weight, not, I am enormously grateful to be in a smaller body. For, I, I can't even begin to, to illuminate the reasons here for you, but um, or enumerate, whatever. Um, but I can tell you that my body, I struggle with my body image because contrary to all the ads on television, you lose 166 pounds, you don't go, and all of it just disappears. So my body does not look the way I thought it would look, 166 pounds lighter. So it's, it's still a challenge every day, but I get to go. Like, I was worried. I've always been worried about traveling and losing my suitcase because I don't know if there's a Lane Bryant where I'm going. I don't know if there's an avenue or somebody or a place that has big enough clothes for a person who's over 300 pounds. What do I do if they lose my suitcase? I can go to Walmart if I need to and get a pair of jeans and a, and a shirt, you know, and I, I'll take the fear of being in a smaller body, you know, and I'm not afraid like I used to be. Thank you so much. Thank you.